James chapter number 1 tonight, and I'd like to just read four verses, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And I want to preach to you tonight on temptations and trials and sufferings and some of the things we go through and how the Word of God tells us that we ought to approach it. James chapter number 1, let's begin in verse number 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I bet we could read that again. It's not very long tonight. Let's read verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank You for this privilege that it is to be gathered here tonight. Lord, I pray that we take seriously the obligation, the responsibility that is laid before us this evening. Lord, that we lay our hearts open, that we not see this as a message for them, but as a message for us. Lord, that You gain the victory in our lives. Not just that we gain the victory in You, but Father, that You gain the victory in us tonight. And that you'd walk out of this place and we'd walk out of this place and you'd have more of us than when we came in. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to James chapter number 1, there's not a real lengthy introduction given. Uh, Verse number 1 is fairly short, but it tells us a lot about who James was. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, this James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that James doesn't say anything about being the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he calls himself the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and the servant of God. That word servant that's used there has the idea of a willful servant. Some of you may remember in the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, that when a servant had served out his time, uh, he was given the opportunity he'd go out free. And he did not have to stay in the servitude of his master. But if he loved his master, if he really truly loved his master, if he didn't want to go, and if he knew that his wife belonged to his master and his children belonged to his master, in other words, that everything that he had belonged to the master, then he could go to the master and he could say, I love you, I'm happy with you, I'll serve you willfully. And they'd go to the uh, public uh, place, the public square, I guess you would call it, the market there where public affairs were uh, taking place. And uh, they would take a, an, an awl and they would pierce through that servant's ear. And they would uh, do that on the doorpost. And that was a symbol. That man was marked for the rest of his life that he had chosen to remain a servant because he loved his master. And this is the word that James uses to describe himself. He doesn't say, I'm the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I'm a pillar in the church. He doesn't say, I'm a father in the church at Jerusalem. He doesn't say any of those things. Rather, he says, I'm a servant of God. That's who I am. I'm I'm just bought and paid for, but I'm not here because I'm bought and paid for. I'm here because I'm in love with the one that has the leading of my life. And then notice the audience that he's writing to. He says, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, we know this is a Hebrew Christian epistle because he says to the twelve tribes. And so as you read the book of James, you'll have to understand that there is a prism you must view it through. We talked a little bit about that Sunday night in the book of Hebrews. It's another Hebrew Christian epistle. 
And that as you read those, you have to look through, through the prism of a Jew that has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and is experiencing some things and needs to understand some things about grace and about his walk with the Lord Jesus. But the thing that interests me tonight, because I think there's a lot of misinterpretation surrounding this word temptation, is the next phrase that's given. I believe it gives us some insight into the kind of temptations that James is talking about because the Bible says he's writing to a scattered people. Now, when we talk about that word temptations, oftentimes we think of it in terms of a solicitation to do wrong or to sin. Certainly the word tempted and tempting and temptation in the Bible can have that connotation. There's plenty of times the Bible says that a, a man is drawn away, a man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. There are times in the Bible when that word temptation has to do with the solicitation to sin. There are other times in the Bible when that word temptation has to do with a trial, with a testing, with tribulation that we might experience or that we might go through. And it is this type of temptation that James is talking about. He is not talking to a sheltered people. He's talking to a scattered people. He's not talking to a people that are at ease. He's talking to a people that are in exile. And as such, he is talking about the trials that they are going to experience and the things that they are going to go through as they walk through this world. Now, let me go ahead and tell you that I, there ain't a Jewish bone in my body, at least not that I'm aware of. Uh, I mean, I'm as, I'm as hillbilly, Appalachian American as it comes. Uh, this was not explicitly written to me, but could I say it was written for me? Because you and I were in somewhat of the same condition. We are a scattered and sojourning people in a hostile world that hates and rejects God and wants nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, part of the experience that you're going to have is trials and troubles. Let us not forget that this world is not our home. We are not home. I'm reminded of the missionary Henry Morris that had uh, gone away and had been on the field for 40-some years and uh, is serving the Lord in Africa. And he was coming home to retire from mission work. And as he was riding back on the freighter, uh, he pulled in and he got home and there was a large crowd there at the port that was gathered. And his heart filled with, with love and his eyes swelled with tears and he thought, they're here for me. What he did not know was that the then president, Teddy Roosevelt, was also on that boat. He had been in Africa for one of his famous hunting trips, his safaris. And as he got off the boat, he noticed that this great crowd, they were not gathered for this battle-scarred missionary. They were rather gathered for the president that was there. And Mr. Morrison looked over at his wife and he said, you know, sometimes it's just so discouraging. We've served the Lord for 40-something years here we are, we've had to retire, we've come home, and look at the welcome that we receive. And with the wisdom that God blesses a wife with, she looked over and she said, Honey, but you must remember, we're not home yet. Oh my, what it must have looked like when that old veteran missionary walked through the gates of glory. And it wasn't Teddy Roosevelt that was cheering for, but it was that missionary that had given his heart and life to God many years ago. That's the reality of the world that we live in. We're going to experience trials and tribulations and suffering. And so James gives us a little encouragement, a little insight concerning this. And I just want us to notice a few things in this verses. Notice first with me the predicted outbreak of trials that James speaks about. When he talks about suffering and trials, he uses some interesting language. He says to us in verse number 2, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers 
temptations. Notice first off that he speaks of the certainty of trials. He does not say if trials come. He says when trials come. He does not speak about the possibility. He speaks about the certainty, the absoluteness of the experience of trials in life. And I won't labor on this. I feel like I've actually preached all around this for the past two or three weeks. And, but I do want to say this, that whatever uh, your experience and your lot in life, understand that if you're a child of God, there will be hard times. Whoever told you, if somebody came along and told you when you got saved it was smooth sailing, they lied to you. The fact of the matter is we all experience trials. Peter said it this way, giving us a word of encouragement in 1 Peter 4.12. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. In other words, Peter says, you know, sometimes, and we're all like this, we all, when something goes wrong, we all start thinking, well, what is wrong in my life? Why me? Have you ever said that before? I've gotten a case of the why me's every now and then. And I start saying, why me? And why me? And why me? When I believe that if we really spoke with a touch of grace, we might say, why not me? Why not me? Or we might say this, why not something worse? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people. I I know there's folks in this room I'm sure have suffered. But I promise you, you go around to the four corners of this globe and you're going to find people who have suffered in ways you could never imagine, ways I could never imagine. The truth of the matter is that the grace of God in our life, we could say it's the grace of God when we suffer, and there's a lot of truth to that. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of things that grace allows us to miss in life that if we could catch a glimpse of all the things God spared us of, it might give us a little bit different perspective sometimes. We're all going to experience trials. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he, when he talked about the persecutions he'd endured. In verse 11, he says, What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Paul didn't say from them all the Lord delivered me. He said out of them all. Now, if there's everybody, ever anybody that had a persecuted life, it was Paul. Don't you think so? In fact, I'm pretty sure the last good day Paul had was the day on the road to Damascus. Because after that, you see him getting beat up and kicked around and hanged and stoned and, and shipwrecked and all of the afflictions and all of the persecutions that he endured. But he said, you know, God's been faithful through all of it. The fact is, trials will come. James speaks of the certainty of trials. But then notice, he speaks of the suddenness of trials. There's an interesting word used here in verse number 2. When James says, when ye fall into divers temptations. It's interesting to me that that word fall is found only one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Luke chapter number 10, verse 30. If you know your Bible, you might be familiar with the story that it's referencing, but our Lord told a parable of a Samaritan that was traveling on his journeys, and he says this, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. The only other place that this word for fall is used, but it's indicative of the idea of an ambush. You know, that's sort of how trials come, don't they? Man, everything can be going well. I mean, there's days that you wake up and the sun's shining and you're in the darkest of night before the day is done. And you think about how quick things can change. Some of you, you've got enough gray on top and enough of the road behind you to know that this is true, that you have moments in your life when just one phone call, just one phone call, just one letter, just one pink slip, Just one anything, and your whole life can be shaken, and your whole existence can seem to unravel. 
Let me tell you something. You may feel like you have security now. Me and my wife were sort of talking about this the other day. I, I don't know why. I guess the Lord has me and my wife talk about things so I can tell you about them. Because I figure like, I feel like I'm always telling you about things we talk about. Amen. But we were talking about peace, and I, I've always I don't have I don't have scripture for this, but it's just always been my feelings, my perception in my heart and mind. But I've always felt like there was sort of such a thing in life as as your foundational peace, your core peace, and then your surface or your circumstantial peace. And, uh, you know, the peace that I have is vested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that as long as He's on the throne and I'm in His heart and hand, there's nothing can harm me but what He allows. But then there is a surface peace that we enjoy and experience when things are going well. And I'm glad to know that nothing can shake or rock that foundational peace. I mean, the psalmist spoke of it when he said, If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And certainly in the fabric of society, the foundation of our biblical framework for our nation may be shaken. But thank the Lord that as a Christian, we have an anchor that holds as sure and steadfast within the veil. And the foundation of our salvation and the foundation of who we are is all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as He's living and as long as He's reigning and as long as He's in control, we need not worry about that being shaken. But certainly that circumstantial peace can go away in a moment. It can be gone in a moment. I mean, there's folks that they wake up and they're having a good day and then they look up from the back of an ambulance and everything's gone awry and gone wrong. And it's almost like they've just fell into the midst of trials and tribulation. He speaks of the suddenness of trials. But then he speaks of the... And I want to use this word because it's a scriptural word. He says that trials can come certainly and suddenly... But he says that trials can come severally, or we might say separately. He uses an interesting word here. He says divers' temptations. Now, you know, I I hate to break it to you, but he's not talking about snorkeling there. Somebody say amen. That's a Bible word, and it means different. It actually carries with it the connotation. You're going to laugh when I say this, but the connotations of technicolor, multicolored, multifaceted. The Bible uh, uses that same idea when it speaks of Joseph's coat of many colors. And James, in writing this, wants us to understand that trials are not necessarily a singular thing. Sometimes when trials come, they come from many different angles, many different facets, and many different avenues. The Word of God presents it to us this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, where it says, "...wherein..." Ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We've talked about that idea of what a manifold does and how that it carries something through many different channels. And certainly in our lives, listen, you know what the world calls it? We have a turn of phrase that we use. We, we have sort of a saying that the world has adopted that, that expresses this principle. And it's this, when it rains, it what? It pours. Listen, I I wish that you only had to fight one battle at a time, but that's not the reality of things. I wish that the only battle you'd have to fight would be with your family or with your spouse or with your kids. I wish I could tell you that the only battle you'd have to fight would be with your finances or would be with your emotions. But the truth of the matter is there are times in our life when it seems like Satan is attacking us from every single angle. And things seem to just pour on and pour on and pour on. 
sometimes is not even something that's really all that difficult. And if it was the only battle we were fighting, we'd have it licked. But as it compounds the suffering and the angst and the worry and doubts from so many other trials, it can just feel crushing. Can I ask you something? And, and, and I, some of you may not understand what I'm about to ask, but some of you are going to understand it all too well. Have you ever found yourself unraveling over something that really wasn't all that important? I've been there. Something happened. You know, as a pastor, there, there's always things going on. And, and uh, you know, it, it, I, I've always thought it was funny the Lord called me into ministry because I really don't like people. Somebody say amen right there. And... <laughs> When you deal with people, there's always problems. That's just how, if you ever find a perfect church, you've not found a perfect church. You've just found one that can put on real well. And sometimes the things that are the greatest burden and the things that seem to deal the most crushing blow are really not even all that severe or significant. But as troubles and trials have compounded in your life, it's what the world calls the straw that breaks the camel's back. Understand that there are times when you have to fight a battle on several fronts. And it's all the more pressing that you fight vigorously and with, with diligence and with fervor because those are the battles that are easy to lose. Sometimes we get the idea, you know, we're, we're, we're self-centered by nature. Human beings are. And there's a certain amount of things of peace that we feel like is deserved to us. And you know what we're bad about sometimes when we start fighting these battles on many angles? We say to ourselves, well, I can only handle one thing at a time, so I'm going to focus on this and I'll let this just go into the ditch. I've seen many homes and many lives wrecked with that mentality of, well, I can only... You know how people say it? They say, well, I just need to tend to me for a while. You ever heard somebody say that before? I've heard people say, I just need to tend to me. And I understand that. I understand that there is an importance in focusing on our personal walk and relationship with the Lord. I'm not minimizing that in any way. But let me just say this. The Lord's not going to put you through anything that by His grace you cannot make it through. We see in this passage the predicted outbreak of trials. But then, thank the Lord, we see the promised outcome of trials. James talks about the, the trials we are going to experience in life, but then he tells us that there are some outcomes that we can expect. One writer said this that there are two basic kinds of trials in life. There are the trials of correction and there are the trials of perfection. The trials of correction come when we are out of the will of God. God uses these trials to bring us back to Himself. And the trials of perfection come when we are in the will of God. God uses these trials to make us more like Christ. Understand this, no matter what the reason for your trial, God has a purpose in your trial. Now, did you get what I just said? No matter what the reason for... You may be going through a trial because you're out of the will of God. That doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose in it. You may be going through a trial because you're in the will of God. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose in it. It doesn't matter what you're going... There is no breath that you draw but what God has purpose in it. He is just that divine. He is just that sovereign. He is just that wise. And so we ought to look for that purpose in whatever we're going through. Let me say that James uses this word when he begins to talk about this. And this isn't really in my notes, but I think it's worth saying. He uses the word knowing. He says, knowing this. Now, I don't have to be a scholar to know what the word know means. It means to understand this truth. And James, as he is giving this exhortation, 
to these scattered tribes and to this scattered people. He says, I want you to understand this when these trials come. It's not a question of if they're going to come, you are going to experience these things. And so when they happen, I want you to keep your head about you and I want you to understand some things concerning trials that we go through. He says, knowing this, first off, that trials produce spiritual purity. He says this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, we know that word trying in the Bible because we've seen it in a lot of different contexts. But we've seen it applied this way many times. Job used it this way in Job 23 when he said, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. It carries with it the thought of purging something, a precious metal in the fires, to drive out the impurities. Often trials in our life are God's way of getting us to deal with things in our life that are displeasing to the Lord. You, you know, that's the purpose of the fire when it tries and purges the metals. If that fire is not present, that metal will retain those impurities throughout eternity on end. But when the fire is placed to it, a choice has to be made. And the impurities are drawn out of it like, like a venom out of a wound. Oftentimes when we go through trials, one of the things God is trying to do is He's trying to get us to shed some things that we don't need that if we don't go through those trials, we'll never give enough thought to look at what we're going through. We'll never give enough thought to look at our life. We'll never thought, what's the first thing that happens when the ship starts to sink? They start throwing off the weight that's not needed. The truth of the matter is, sometimes when the storms come and it feels as though the boat of our life is getting ready to sink, it causes us the first thing to do to look around and say, hey, now what can I live without? What are some things in my life that maybe are causing some problems in my walk with the Lord? And James says that these trials that we experience, listen, whether you're in the will of God or whether you're out of the will of God, this isn't saying that the trying of your faith when you're out of the will of God does this. I'm saying it doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual walk. We all have things that we need to yield to the Lord. James says that one of the things that that trial will do in your life is purge it and purify it of some unnecessary things. He tells us that trials produce spiritual purity, but he tells us that trials produce spiritual stability. He says in verse number 3 that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Patience. Could we say that, that the true strength or the true expression of patience is that of stability? The ability to just wait on God. Let me tell you something. We live in the now generation. You've heard people talk about the me generation. Well, this generation is the now generation. It's not only all about me. It's all about me right now. There's nothing we can't get in a moment's notice. And I'll go ahead and tell you as a product of the generation that I am growing up in that my first inclination, if I've got a question, is pull out that smartphone and ask Mr. Google about it. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. Everything that we want. I, I mean, when we, when we order something, we want the two-day shipping. Somebody say amen. You know? We want it then. We want it now. And that's just the way that we live our lives. When we go to watch something, we want to watch it now. We don't want to wait. And the fact of the matter is that we live our spiritual lives that way too. We go through trials. We want God to end them now. I mean, right now. But guess what? God don't always end them now. So you know what you have to do sometimes? You have to wait and be patient. 
We've talked before about what patience really is. Patience is not waiting. Because waiting is something that is not something we choose in the first place. Patience is rather the attitude with which we wait. And as we go through trials in life, it oftentimes will produce a stability in which we learn to trust God and to not go off into the ditch every time something goes wrong. I've known people that have been that way in life. you ever known anyone like that? Everything was going well, man. They are serving God. But the slightest little thing happened, and they was gone. All of a sudden, God don't love me anymore. God don't care about me anymore. Serving God don't matter anymore. You know, Asaph, the leader of the temple choir, he went through that in Psalm 73. He said, man, God is good to Israel and to them that, that know Him. But as for me, my feet, they were, they were getting ready to slip. He says, I was getting ready to fall. And he spends the next 14, 15 verses complaining. He says, everywhere I looked, the wicked were prospering, the godly were suffering, I was miserable, I was unhappy, I wanted out of my current situation, I was a hypocrite, I knew I was a hypocrite, everything was wrong. Then he says, but then I entered into the house of the Lord, and I saw their end. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, when I went into the house of the Lord, I realized that if I just trust God for a little longer, if I just exercise a little patience, then I get to see their end, and I get to see God exalt and deliver me. Sometimes as we go through trials, part of what it does is producing us the stability to trust God when everything is not going just perfect. None of that roller coaster Christianity, man, up and down and up and down and up and down. I believe God wants some people that will be steadfast and unmovable, don't you? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Verse number 4, he teaches us this, that trials produce spiritual maturity. He says this, two times in this verse he uses the word perfect. He says, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now some of you say, preacher, if God wants perfect, I'll never measure up. Well, God wanted perfect and he found it in Jesus Christ, but that's not what he's talking about here. That word perfect carries with it the idea of maturity. And I believe that trials... Listen, part of growing up is growing pains. Somebody say amen to that. A little baby, if he's going to grow and his body's going to develop, we, we, our, little, our little boy, he's been teething for about six years now. And, and I, he must have 430 teeth because he's always cutting teeth. That's part of growing up part of growing up. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be pain and suffering and hurting at times. And that's true of our spiritual walk too. Listen, if you've got it easy all the time, it's going to make you a soft Christian. It's going to make you a soft Christian. There was a time, we, we don't know what suffering is. I, and I'm not just going to sit up here and complain about how soft we are. But, but that's the truth. We don't know what real suffering is. Most of us, we sit around looking for reasons to get upset because we don't have anything really to feel persecuted about. We sit around waiting for somebody to say something ugly to us or somebody not uh, compliment us or somebody do this or that because we don't ever experience any kind of real persecution in our lives and we need to feel persecuted. The truth of the matter is there were times in the church when it wasn't uncommon to see people fed to the lions, to see people having their heads chopped off, to see people being drawn and quartered and burned at the stake. And that was just the experience of Christianity at one time. But you know what these trials do? They help us to grow up. And that's what we, all, that's what we need, man. God needs some mature Christians. Don't you think so? 
I'm talking about Christians that aren't still on the milk. Christians that are on the meat of the Word. Christians that, that know. I, I, a preacher friend of mine made this statement the other day, and I, I, I liked it. He, he said, listen, when you get your feelings hurt, don't get out of church. Just get your feelings hurt and stay in church like the rest of us. Everybody gets out of church because they get their feelings hurt. They act like they're the first person to ever get their feelings hurt in church. Listen, if you've been going to church for more than six months and ain't got your feelings hurt, you ain't doing it right. The fact is, if you're going often enough, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Somebody's going to say something. That's just the reality of church life. It's the reality of people. You work on a public job for that amount of time, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. And the fact of the matter is, we need, we need Christians that are going to learn how to stick by the stuff, man. Be stable. Be mature. Most of us, we wouldn't quit a job if somebody was to say something to hurt our feelings. Well, not quit on the Lord if somebody says something to hurt our feelings. I understand the inclination. We all have that inclination. It hurts to get hurt. But we need some maturity to move beyond those things. Sometimes trials produce that maturity. They teach us how to wait and to trust the Lord. James gives us a predicted outbreak of trials, and then he gives us the promised outcome of trials. But right now, you may be in the middle of a trial. And sort of we joke about it and we talk about it. It's so cliched because it's true that everybody's either going in or in the middle or coming out of a battle. And, and James sort of presents that to us. He says, you might, at some point, you're going to be going in a battle. And at some point, you're going to be coming out of that battle. But what do you do while you're in the middle of it? What do you do while you're in the middle of the storm and the valley and the battle? Well, he presents to us the proper outlook that we ought to have on trials. And I want to say this and I'll be done tonight. He uses a strange, strange phrase and gives us a strange exhortation in verse number 2. Now, I could understand it if James had said, be patient and hang strong when trials come. I could have understood it if James had said, look unto Jesus as your example when trials come. And certainly the Bible teaches us that. But rather, James says this in verse number 2. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Now, you're going to say to me, Preacher, that's crazy. You mean I'm supposed to enjoy the trial that I'm going through? Nobody enjoys trials. They're an unpleasant experience. Well, you have to understand what James is saying here. He did not say enjoy your trial. He said count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation. It has the idea of looking ahead to what is coming. Can I give you a New Testament verse about the Lord Jesus that presents it to us? In Hebrews 12, 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't enjoy the cross. He despised the shame. He endured the cross. But you know why He did it? Because He looked forward to the joy that was set before Him. He knew what the cross was going to produce. You say, preacher, how can I count it all joy when I'm going through this trial? Well, nobody's saying you have to wear a plastic smile. But what we are saying is this. Understand that God has a purpose in this trial. God's producing some things in your life through this trial. And when you look at this trial, look beyond the trial to what God is trying to do. So oftentimes when we get into a trial, we immediately say, how can I get out of this? When instead we ought to be saying, what can I get out of this? 
not just what's the quickest road out of this painful experience, but what are some things along the road I can pick up? What is God trying to do in my life? And looking forward with joyful anticipation to the day when God delivers us and all things are made clear. Nobody's saying enjoy that trial. They're just saying look beyond that trial. We see a joyful anticipation and then finally I'm done. James speaks of our willful participation. He uses this word in verse number 4. He says, let patience have her perfect work. Now, that's interesting. Oftentimes, and, and we talked about this a moment ago, that patience is defined by our attitude in the midst of our waiting. That waiting is not something we willfully choose. And yet James says in this verse that there are some things we have to let happen in the midst of our trials. We have to allow patience to have her perfect work. And I sort of got to thinking about that. What are some ways people don't let that happen? I'm just going to give you these three, and then my introduction, and then my first point. And let me say, first off, when you're in the midst of a trial, don't run. We're too quick to run from our problems. You know what I mean by don't run? I mean this. Don't try to fix them yourself. Pray and let God fix them. Man, we're so quick to want to run away from the problems that we go through. I heard this interesting story with the idea of running about a man that had become a bartender in the Old West. And uh, some of the locals had told him, said, if you ever hear that Big John is coming, you need to run. Don't wait. Don't ask any questions. If somebody says Big John is coming, just run. One day as that man was going about his business, somebody ran into that saloon and cried and said, Everybody run! Everybody run! Big John's coming! And all of a sudden, the ground began to shake. And a man came in riding bareback on a buffalo, using a rattlesnake as a whip, burst into splinters the door, uh, broke the bar in two as he slammed his fist down and said, Pour me a drink. The man poured him a drink and the fellow guzzled it back and he said, Sir, do you want another? The man said, I would, but I don't have time. Big John's coming. I've got to get out of here. <laughs> Oftentimes we just want to run. We want to look to someone else to fix our problems. We're like Abraham. The famine comes. And we want to go down and look for Egypt to rescue us when God will give His people bread. We'll just wait. We try to run. I'd say don't run. I'd say don't rebel. You know, sometimes in the midst of the trials that we experience and go through, when things don't start, when things go wrong, you know, we say, well, it ain't no good to serve the Lord. I'll just live my way. It ain't no good to serve the Lord. Things went wrong. Had a bad day. Things didn't go my way. Just forget it. I'm going to do things my way now. And many a Christian has walked off into the far country because he felt like he wasn't being treated right in the Father's house. Let me tell you something. Things may not always be what you want in the Father's house, but they're always right in the Father's house. And you won't get nothing by going off into a far country. I'd say don't rebel. And then finally, I'd say this. Don't resent the Lord when trials come. Listen, some folks, you you have a choice. You can either let trials better you or bitter you. You can either allow it to draw you closer to the Lord or allow it to push you further from the Lord. And it's you that has the choice in that. No one else. No one else. No one can make that choice before you. Listen to me. One of these days, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be asked about every trial that we've gone through. 
And the Lord Jesus is going to ask us, why didn't you trust me in the midst of that trial? What will you tell him? Will you tell him that he wasn't trustworthy? Will you tell him that you were scared? Everybody's scared when they go into trials. What if he looks at you and said, I was trying to do, I had the greatest blessing you would have ever experienced, but instead you became bitter towards me. You turned your back and you walked away. Don't resent the Lord when trials come. Because understand, He's trying to do something in your life. He's got a grand purpose in it. So let patience have her perfect work. Allow God time to work. And you'll find that it'll be worth the wait without fail. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, the altar's open tonight. If God's touched your heart, I want you to come and I want you to deal with Him. I don't know what you may be going through, heading into or coming out of, but I know that the God of all comfort can give you consolation in the midst of it. And I know that there is a purpose in it. As we have a word of prayer tonight, if God's touched your heart, I want you to be willing to come and yield to Him and speak to Him.